All right, <clears throat> welcome to another awesome episode of F-Stop Collaborate and Listen. Uh, this week's guest is the formidable, venerable, and incredible Ben Canales uh, from Portland, Oregon. He has been a m- massive inspiration to me, and I know many other uh, people who got their start in knife photography in the uh, late 2000s um, and early uh, 2010s. Um, if you haven't checked his workout, it is fantastic. He is definitely a pioneer. And man, what a fantastic speaker. Great dude. Um, just all around had such a fun time talking to him. I think you guys will really enjoy this week's podcast. Um, a quick shout out to my friend David Kingham. Um, he gave me some advice. Um, hopefully I've incorporated that advice advice into the podcast this week. And uh, thanks to our, our newest patrons. I can't thank you guys enough for supporting the podcast. Thank you, David Hunter, Scott Thorpe, and Matt Quinn. You guys are awesome. Thank you very much. Enjoy the episode. Yeah, the resolution's not as good, but... Yeah, we still cares? get the, we still see each other talking. Excellent. Yeah, I don't need to see like every, every uh, hair on your face, right? It's good because I didn't shave, but you know, I mean, <laughs> we're not using 8K HDR video feed. It's such a disappointment for our Ex- technical exactly. abilities. <laughs> exactly. Are you want exactly. to jump back into it? Yeah. So, um, so yeah, my question is, um, like, how did you even get into knife photography to begin with? Because I feel like before you, or at least around in that time period, there really wasn't that many people doing it, and it was super novel. Um, it's kind of uncharted territory, so to speak. So how did how did that strike you as something you wanted to do? It's funny how you phrase it, because that's exactly how it struck me as something I wanted to do. Uh, <laughs> I guess rewind cool. to the moment I got into that. I uh, grew up in Jersey on the East Coast, and like a big starry night was seeing the Big Dipper, Orion's Belt, and a few other stars all together. Like that was like a big starry night. And so uh, when I was traveling internationally in my early 20s, I was in Australia and was out peeing in the middle of the night and uh, (laughs) like the wind was whipping, but it was a clear night out. And I looked up and like, there was this weird glowing cloud and it was like kind of one of those funny groggy middle of the night moments, like just stumbling back to the tent. And I was like, what is this weird cloud that's not moving on a, like a howling wind night. And it was such a strange scene that I sat there and stared for like 10, 15 minutes trying to figure out how this thing wasn't moving. And when I realized it was the Milky Way, like I literally like fell over in on the ground because we never see that in the East Coast. And I didn't know that you could see it with your own eyes. And so that just like sparked this obsession with night sky gazing and not traditional astronomy. Um, I leave that to the true astronomers. For whatever reason, man, like I am just wrapped up with seeing the night sky just like laying in the grass and seeing it. And so after that um, edge of the outback Australia moment, I just assumed you could only see it in far flung exotic places. And as I traveled more, it was always a priority to get out of the city, whether it was like going to the highlands of Scotland or the weird back country of Guatemala to see the stars. And and I would tell friends, like, you've got to see this. Like, it's incredible. And, you know, back in the MySpace days, would write a post <laughs> or two about some of the trips going on. And, and it's funny because um, 
it was definitely an obsession back then. Like I started talking to my boss at the time who was a fisherman and his buddy had a boat and they would go out tuna fishing. And it was like, what if we go like 20 miles off the coast? Like, are we far enough around the horizon to get away from the light pollution? And, you know, like just trying to figure out how to like get that moment, that scene. So, um, fast forward, like, I don't know, five, 10 years later and I move out to Oregon and go backpacking or leave the city and suddenly like right. there's the Milky Way just an hour and a half, two hours out of Portland. And for the last 10 years, like I've been chasing that scene through passport stamps and really expensive trips and and waiting for that next ability to see that and to find it literally in our city's backyard just blew me away. So really excited to see that. Uh, it was 2008 when I moved out here. Uh, recession was in full swing. So I was taking work in a bunch of different places. Uh, I've been a carpenter, hardwood floor, trades, welding kind of person my whole life up to that point. So I was working in a cabinet shop and uh, was pushing wood rips out of the way, just doing basic plywood rips. And I had gloves on. Uh, I think there was like a, a split, like a thread that was loose because when I went to push away the rip, somehow my hand got pulled on the blade and chopped off finger on the left first oh shit yeah, you didn't know that and then um <laughs> no dude yeah the whole hand like this middle finger was three quarters off uh the third finger the tendon got severed and then stitches on my pinky and thumb so um i had a couple months off and a friend let me borrow her canon 20 or 30d at the time and uh, i'd always played with uh, cameras, video, animation, Photoshop, just on the side, but never really got serious with it. And so with the the time off for um, the workman's comp, I started playing with the camera and thought like, man, maybe it's time to change jobs. Like there isn't a better life moment where I have this paid time off to recover, to like explore a new vocation. And I tried through all the work assist programs to find like photography training, but the system's really set up thickly to keep you in your current vocation path. Mm -hmm. So anyways, um, I started exploring around and my own personality is always be to, to always be attracted to where people don't go. So like if the crowd goes one direction, I'm automatically looking the opposite and wondering where there's a quiet spot where there's not a bunch of people. And, uh, at that time, 2009, um, I started playing with HDR and that was really fun. Uh, but then realized like, Everyone was already doing it. Right. Started playing with Tilt Shift, and that was like super yeah. fun. And saw everyone was doing that too. And then um, I was backpacking uh, with a girl I was dating at the time. We went to Paulina Lake. Did oh, you ever go no. out there by Bend? It's cool. It's uh, kind of like a mini crater lake, and there's hot springs on the backside. So we go backpacking out there. And it's neat. You dig into the shore, into the dirt, and hot springs percolate out of it. And so there's oh, this tub. Super like, cool. Yeah, at the water's edge. So um, I brought the camera along because I was exploring with photography, do a sunset shot. And like, it was like, eh. Then, of course, jump in the hot tub with the, the wine with the lady. And the stars come out. And so I was drunk enough and just like, you know, whatever enough to be like, I wonder if I get a star shot. So, um, pull it over to the hot tub and I'm playing with the settings and trying different things out. And then suddenly like an out of focus blurry shot of the stars show up and there's a bunch of them in there. And I was like, no way. <laughs> so then start playing more. And then the Milky Way shows up and it's brighter than I can see. Now it's still like way out of focus and like color balance is all crazy, but there's more stars than I can see in the camera. And I was just like, what the hell? So by the end of the night, I actually was able to get 
a Milky Way shot on some like 35 millimeter lens or something. And, and there's just like this like lightning bolt moment where that previous path of having love chasing this night sky, like literally around the world to see the Milky Way, to discover that in my backyard here in Oregon, to then realize that through this camera, I can see more of the night sky than I can with my own eyes. And then to also realize like, here's a tool that I can now show and share with friends, this thing I've been chasing in a way that I never could before. And then to your last point, to go home, look online and realize like so few people are doing this. It was just like, oh my God, like this is it. I am, I'm chasing this full, full throttle. And uh, for the next like three years, just obsessively went after it. And it was so much fun to, to know that I had this special thing that yeah. few people were doing. And there was all this wide open, like gray map area that no one had mapped out. And it was like every, every night out was an experiment to try something that no one's tried before because no one was doing it. And man, that's intoxicating. So that's oh, definitely why sure. I got into it was like, no one was doing it. It was so cool. Yeah. I mean, I remember, um, <clears throat> so I, I first got into it 2011, which is probably like, you know, I guess two, two years after you kind of yeah. really got into it. And I remember the first kind of informative website that I found that kind of answered all the questions that I had that I couldn't figure out on my own was on your blog post. Like, Oh, like juice oh, yeah. your ISO really high and then take like a, like a 10 second shot and, and like, you can compose that way. And then like, Oh, then dial your ISO back. And then, Oh, here's a, you know, 600 divided by your focal length rule. And I was like, Oh, this is gold. Uh, I, was mem I like memorized <laughs> yeah. it all. I was like, uh, and then I went out and used it and I was like, this is fucking legit. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, once you have a few of those like 10 yeah. things, then it's all easy. Peasy. Yeah, for sure. But it's just like doing it in the middle of the night when you're normally asleep, making mistakes is a hard way to learn. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. No doubt. <laughs> I'm cool. That helped out, man. It, I just got so many emails of people like, how do I do this? Or what about this? And I suck at staying in good contact. So finally I was like, all right, I'm just making a blog post and then eventually made a video yeah. to try to answer all those questions. And it's been, uh, really special to hear how many people that's introduced to the night sky. Yeah. Well, uh, that's cool, man. So one of the things I really, really, really wanted to talk to you about, uh, as someone who's kind of been the pioneer, um, into, you know, what's become such a popular medium of photography is, um, okay. how has it evolved since you first got into it? Oh, well, listen up here, Sonny. Let me pull you up on the porch and I'll tell you about it. <laughs> it's crazy that, I mean, this is only 10 years now, I guess nine years officially that, sure. you know, we can speak historic context right. of something. <laughs> um, it's changed a lot. And for any of you young kids coming into this night photography stuff, you have it so easy. Listen, listen, uh, listen up, young whippersnappers. <laughs> Yeah. The, the other part of that magic intersection for my own personal moment of getting into this was that cameras were just finally able to do it. Right. Uh, you know, like that was on the Canon 30D. And if you go back to the 20D, it really couldn't get enough ISO to do that. And then right. if you go back to the film cameras, there are folks who were doing it, but that that cost of entry, uh, not just financial, but time of learning was massive. Yes. And you really had to be dedicated to write down all your settings and, and then go back and, uh, develop everything and compare notes, blah, blah, blah. So that ability to look on the back of the camera and in the field, make changes that just open up everything. So, um, 
don't know, 2008, I think looking back on Flickr, things start opening up with uh, like the Canon 30D. I forget what the Nikon yeah, I was gonna, compared I was gonna say model like the, is. The D3S was like super badass night, like high ISO. And then like the D90, I think was about that time, which like I think could shoot ISO like 1600 or something like that. And it was like... Yeah, the D90 and the... 5d2 really blew things out of the water by the way what was with nikon and canon doing like opposite number names i don't know we had the the 40d and the the d4 the d3 this is so dumb it's like come on guys like be more original here well not only that but like Uh, i could never ever keep track of like i i I started as nikon and i when i looked at camera uh camera numbers for the canon i was like this makes no sense (laughs) (laughs) same with canon yeah more than chevy (laughs) so funny uh, so going back to to what's changed, um, that ability on the fly in the field to make adjustments was huge. And then really, it sounds so cheesy, but the internet just changed everything yeah. and not in the Instagram way, which I know we want to talk about more, but like going back to good old Flickr days, it's so funny how we're all so nostalgic for the old Flickr, that community that popped up where we were all learning and none of us were really professional photographers. Mm-hmm. So there was no trade secret, so to say, to guard. And everyone was just like sharing and showing and EXIF data was everywhere. And uh, that propagation of information was was mm-hmm. exponential. And so not only did you have the ability in the field to try things out, but you could spend a couple hours at night and suddenly have like 10 different ideas and concepts that you could go out and try next time because of people sharing techniques. Uh, so that was, man, that was a fun that was a fun couple years of of internet history and, and photography history. Um, and then, uh, like you said, the D90, the 5D2 come out. And up to that point, I was using the Canon 40D. And I remember seeing photos shot on the 5D2. And I've been working my ass off to make them look uh-huh. as good as possible <laughs> through yeah. like Lightroom noise reduction and all that stuff. Oh, the Lightroom noise reduction was a big deal too. Um, and then see these photos from the 5D2 and it's just like, <laughs> what is going on? Like, how are they doing this? So, um, I mean, because it's literally like a different level of imaging. And uh, thanks to our local pro photo supply, I was able to rent the 5D2. Actually, in my old girlfriend, Valerie, she let me borrow the one that she had. And I took it out the first <laughs> night. And dude, like the angels came from on high when the first shot showed up. It's like, oh my God, it is the camera. Like this camera is literally different. <laughs> and that was a mind blower. Um, and then going back to like the, the sharing of information, I give credit to Gary Randall. He was out, I think at Lost Lake and rented the uh, 3514. And his shots where he used that wide open 1418 or F2, I forget what he was doing. Right. Like it added two stops of light. And that made what was then shitty sensors look so much better. And that was like another like, holy cow, like this changes everything moment. Uh, And so then fast forward, things got better. We all started sharing a lot of information. Um, Astronomy Photographer of the Year came out. And I think that was like a nice trophy for people to work towards. And that really propelled things forward. And then in my opinion, the the Sony A7S was like another... level up moment for the industry and that's just like open up a ton of stuff and that's kind of think where we're currently at is is that level of ability where now we can shoot with f4 lenses because of the high isos and uh, a a lot of fun and exciting stuff is possible yeah for sure i mean 
I remember um, I started out with a kit lens, like 18 to 105, like F3.5, I think it was. Yeah. And uh, I shot my first Milky Way shot. Um, like I, I, didn't, I like put a headlamp underneath a pillow in my tent and then uh-huh. like had that as my foreground. Because <laughs> it was too bright, right? Yeah. And then I had the yeah. <laughs> Milky Way behind it and it looked, yeah, it was pretty cool. But then I got the uh, yeah, Tokina 11 to 16 2 8. And uh, I was like, oh, my God, I can see all the stars. <laughs> yes, things really started coming yeah, out. Yeah, I mean, I remember, I mean, I was like, I think like you and um, like, I'm trying to think who the guys were, like the, the pioneers, like you, David Kingham, um, mm-hmm. uh, Royce Bear. Um, I'm trying to think like, uh, uh, oh, oh, there's another Colorado guy. Um, well, Anyways, like you guys were kind of the pioneers and then I was like the second generation, like, and then after me, it was like, then everyone fucking did it. Like, it was like, it was like, oh, that's <laughs> yep. for yeah, a good reason. It's fun, so much- but then it was like, then it was like, oh, it just started to get like super repetitive and we'll talk about that too. But, mm-hmm. um, so talking yeah, a definitely. little bit about the, the A7S and, um, I know like you do a ton of video yeah. and time-lapse. So I'm curious, like, what is, uh, how do you shoot a uh, night video? Like, what is kind of, what does that look like from a, from a production standpoint? <laughs> uh, man, the night video. So if you go into Vimeo and look up infinity squared, you can see, I think the last video that put out with, that was all night video. I've got another one that I'm working on. Um, I don't know. I had Carl Sagan narrating it and went through like <laughs> the official channels to get approval and uh and they turn it down because i i'd rearranged some of his uh his narration oh. so anyways i got the thumbs down from the sagan foundation so i gotta find a new narration but there's a really cool crazy new thing coming out so um i guess quick just to give some context because when people see it most people think it's fake when we do a long exposure photo uh we're doing a 30 second shot with our aperture open you know 2.8 or wider iso turned up 6400 or higher and that's mostly the limits of most cameras for a night photo. And we kind of like lens lenses will go to F9.95, <laughs> but that, then it gets just like too, too shallow to work beyond that. So we hit a limit where we can't let in more light until our ISO abilities get better. And uh, there's some new cameras, excuse me, that are out where they have insane ISO abilities. And so as we jack that ISO up, our shutter speed comes down and all video is our photos in sequence that turn into a video mm-hmm video 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 it's a technical term (laughs) uh so so just for example when you put iso somewhere in the range of five hundred thousand, your 30 second photo can come down to a 30th of a second which becomes a video frame and that's how we're able to do uh, night video um dude uh night video (laughs) is hard it is really hard uh it's, it's interesting, um, and this is maybe one reason I'm probably one of the few folks doing it, is the camera is just barely able to do it, and I'm pushing it beyond its max, and suddenly that's reset me back to the crappy sensor days of the Canon 30D. And so I'm used to the tricks, and I've figured out some tools to bring an image out of that noisy mess, uh, And but I kind of like left all those behind when the Sony a7 and better photo cameras came out. But now that I got this video camera that can just barely be able to do it, there's a lot of 
old school tricks that I can now put into this new school video stuff. If that makes any sense, <laughs> it does. There's like a there's like a reset of uh, the levels. Um, so what I'm so excited about is that ability to bring the viewer into the place that we all nerd out on under the night sky, right. and we're we've now eliminated more barriers to a person in the in the in New York City to to see the night sky and experience that we can put a camera and like roll video roll audio and show someone what it's really like um so anyways what it's like um you got to use a lot of weird lights uh and then you're employing a lot of video production tools for storytelling uh and then audio the storytelling is probably the one of the most frustrating ones where if we work to make one good image out on a trip in the evening like that's a good night's work but with video, like you've got to get like 10 to 15 shots, kind of like a podcast to tell a full story. And it's so much more work to tell a story with video than, than photos. So it's a weird new animal. For sure. Yeah. So, um, like what I, what I love about the power of video versus the power of still images is that, uh, I don't know when something moves, like you feel like you're kind of more immersed in the experience. Mm -hmm. Um, but you don't have as much time to, um to study it you know like yeah. you can't you know you can't be like oh i want to look at that blade of grass or but you feel like you're there more than a photograph can do so i think to your point about bringing bringing more people to that experience i think it's really exciting that that the technology and obviously the artistic ability of people like yourself have gotten to the point where we can do that it's crazy uh, just to that technical ability side where it's only going to get better. Like we haven't hit, there's no imaginary wall where it can't get better. We're only going to get more low light abilities. Um, but yeah, the storytelling with video is fascinating, different world. Uh, and, and that's how I make my living is video production. But I feel like I'm very new and early to understanding how video storytelling works. So it's fun to <laughs> transition the night photos into this video world and try to combine the two passions together. Yeah, for sure. So you do um, a ton of um, time-lapse um, in mm -hmm. addition to still and video. So in terms of um, your approach to capturing those scenes and framing them and composing them and all that stuff, like how, are, how do they differ? Yeah, uh, it's a it's a fun um, mental brain space. Uh, so the, the, <laughs> the question kind of being like, how do you shoot a photo or a time lapse or a video differently? Um, I think with photography, I love the the patience you can have to study a moment and really circle around it and, and like hunt it. You're like hunting. You're hunting for that scene and that ability uh -huh. with digital cameras to to test a shot out, change the angle, change your location, change your lighting, whatever is like, for me, it's a meditative process and I love it. And then you just get that one moment and, and like, that's your Eureka gold spot there uh, with time-lapse. It's a fascinating technical effort where you have to know your equipment to know the right settings to capture whatever this, this passing of time is that our brains can't comprehend or, or relate to in scale. And so, you know, you're dealing with like interval settings on your, your camera, uh, exposure settings for whether things are getting brighter or darker or changing white balance, et cetera. But then there comes into play this, this intimate relationship you have with nature to know or guess where it's going to go or what's going to change, like whether the Milky Way is rising, the moon is setting, uh, the sunset is going to explode this way or that. Unlike a camera where 
you were like just like ready to change directions and look for the shot you really got to commit to that single shot before the event happens and then you're locked in so there's there's kind of a um frustration and thrill about it where you put all your money on one number and then you roll a roulette wheel and that's all uh-huh. you get so <laughs> it's um there's a lot of a lot of stress, which makes it really rewarding when it works and a lot of frustration when it doesn't. And then uh, for, oh, and then so for time-lapse, like there's now motion time-lapse and we're used to seeing those sliders and stuff, but generally it's the environment that's changing. And so you're, you're framing your shot for where the Milky Way is going to come up or where the, the sun is going to explode, or maybe you're pointing it at something and the, the light is going to shine on it. So you're, you're framing things with anticipation of how that natural element is going to evolve. Right. And that is the character and that is the main subject. And then with video, um, you can chase it in so many different ways, like try to be waiting like a documentary for something to happen and be pointing a camera in the right way, or chasing a scene and running around following action, or orchestrating a scene and directing the action. Uh, and then you're just like, instead of the one photo that can be the night's winner or capturing three hours of uh, the evening's explosion and all that stuff and turning it into 10 seconds, you're coming home with 40 winner moments that then turn into the story. Uh And so you got to change your brain to like, okay, I'm going to show you this scene from the wide spot. And then I'm going to quickly go to a a tight shot to give you a detail. And then I'll go back to a mid shot to tell you the story. And you're constantly going in and out. And, uh, and then you got to worry and like, think about audio, like how to set up here before this podcast and how that's a whole different world. So, uh, it's, it's really fascinating how different those all are. And we can use the same tool to capture it, like the Sony a7S, for example, that can capture all three of them, but your operation of it is so drastically different to take advantage of the potential of that medium. So it's, uh, it's a little insane, but also a little fun to try to operate with all three of them at the same time. Yeah, so when you're using the, the Sony system, are you using the, the, the Sony Play Memories uh, functionality, or are you just... Or are you using just like an intervalometer and what's your kind of preferred method of capturing a time lapse on the Sony system? Yeah, on the Sony system, I use an intervalometer. I try to stay off the apps if possible. Uh-huh. It's just one less battery that I got to worry about charging or connection <laughs> that isn't going to work. Uh, so the intervalometers are pretty solid. And the little secret that is slowly making its way out is the Sony's ability to uh change exposures in auto mode is insanely good. So before it required third-party hardware to time-lapse like a setting or rising sun or even like a moonrise or Milky Way set or whatever. And you, or you had to do like some insane math to plug into that third-party software or hardware to calculate exposure changes. But honestly, man, if you put it in like aperture priority auto, it is freakishly good at adapting to changing light and giving you uh, raw media that you can shift into a really polished product. And are you using like uh, LR time-lapse software to do that? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yes. LR time-lapse, Lightroom. Uh, there's a few other weird ones in there, but LR time-lapse and Lightroom is your big one. Uh-huh. Nice. I didn't, I did not know that about for... auto. That's nice to know. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I feel like the time lapse guys are going to give me a big middle finger if any of them hear this one. Because <laughs> right? like I don't know, I don't know about anything else. But like I avoid auto, like the plague nowadays. Because you know, like you mm-hmm. you you learn on auto, and then you're like, oh, I never will go back now that I shoot manual. You know, <laughs> <So> like... <laughs> totally. 
Yeah, man. Uh, we've had quite a few trips of using these A7 series, and its ability to follow auto is ridiculous. That's all I'm using now for changing light situations. That's awesome. I love that. I'm going to... Yes. Experiment and play. I, I definitely will. <laughs> cool, man. So uh, let's shift gears a little bit and talk a little bit about this, uh, this whole kind of evolving um, debate that I see kind of popping up like popcorn right now around location sharing. So um, I, it just seems like there's a lot of people now. I heard Nick Page recently on his podcast talk about he's no longer sharing locations with people. I was on a Facebook um, thread today where we talked about uh, not sharing locations. Like someone shared a photo to a photo group and um, someone asked him where it was at and he was like, well, get on Google earth and figure it out. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and then some other guy got on the same thread and was like, here's the GPS coordinates and here's how you get there. Like, um, so it seems like there's still kind of a, a divergent opinion on this. So I'm curious, kind of, kind of where do you stand around like locations and, and, and all that stuff? Yeah. Um, so it's funny. I just, on Facebook, just had a little conversation with Gary Randall and some of the comments about this question. Uh, and I, I'd love to put it in context of, of history of our internet usage kind of in this short decade that we've all been doing this stuff. Um, it's interesting if you go back before the internet, I feel like those locations were much more guarded and it kind mm -hmm. of went to someone's livelihood where they're not going to give you, well, there weren't GPS coordinates, but they wouldn't give you like a, a breadcrumb trail of how to go out there it was just like kind of a person's livelihood to get some of those shots. And it was sort of understood that that was a bit of a secret thing. Uh, and then somewhere in Flickr, probably 500 PX, definitely Instagram, that location tagging became a possibility. Mm -hmm. And I remember like in 500 PX, I learned, or there was like blogs showing that to get the best chance of having visibility, or maybe even like 500 PX had like a, yes. a website form that told you whether you were done or how much shareability you would get. And if you put that location tag in, then they expressed that their website would promote your image more if yes. it had that location tag. So, you know, we kind of got wooed in by the the app software website makers to adopt that as our practice, where it really wasn't the nature before. Mm -hmm. um, and it was really in their best interest to have that because now their viewers had that information. We really didn't gain anything by giving that information. And so we just got used to that as the norm. And uh, maybe three years ago, maybe four, I say three, people started started saying like, hey, I'm not going to say where this is. Sorry. And we as the content creators were de very defensive about that mm -hmm. because we just expected this onslaught. And there was uh, a gushing of vitriol in the beginning of whoever wouldn't share a location tag. <laughs> and then it's, it's shifted since then. And uh, it's been pretty fascinating where now – instead of the comments being like, ah, oh, you're being a dick, like quit hiding secrets, et cetera. Now the comments are like, awesome. Don't tell anyone. Thanks for sharing this image. It's beautiful. Thanks for keeping it a secret. Like we see what's been created by our own usage of these things. And um, yeah, I think uh, the sooner that it becomes normal for us to stop doing location tags, the better off we will be as outdoor recreationist and also our natural spots will be better without our crowds. And, and for context, like it's not this exclusionary, you don't deserve to go to this place. It's not, it's not uh, based on elitism. 
No, not at all. Like, oh, you're it not definitely cool, looks like that from the, the cool, outside. You're not in the cool kids club, so I'm not going to tell you where this shot was taken. <laughs> totally. And it's funny that you use that language because so much of our online behavior almost feels like high school again yeah. in the way we interact, <laughs> right? Yeah, totally. Um, as adults, we're saying cool club and it totally makes sense. Uh, but <laughs> for for me, the the process that I came about that information is through months or years of backpacking and finding those spots or, and that's definitely not the exclusion or the, the total truth, or doing a lot of research and looking through guidebooks or various forums or whatever. But that act of, of time put in to find a place, uh, one, it, it puts it in a different context for yourself where suddenly you're like, yeah, I spent like three days or three weeks or three years to find this spot. It's special. I don't want to wreck it. Or as you go through the process, you come up with 20 other cool locations. And even if you're still going to that one spot that everyone's going, you know of 19 other awesome spots. And you're aware of that as an ecosystem, not just this only one place exists. I want to get my selfie. And so if, uh, if people now find their locations through all these top 10 lists, and of course, they're only going to go to the top two or three. Right. There's none of that context. There's none of that respect. There's none of that sweat equity. And they're going to treat these places like they're not special because they didn't have to put any work in to find it. So again, it's not that they shouldn't know about it, but there should be some sweat equity to find out about it. Go ahead. You, you know, you're the first person that I've talked to about this. And um, I've talked to a lot of fucking people about this mm-hmm. um, where you've said that there's a core, there's a correlation and a relationship between um Keep the effort that people put into discovering a location on their own yeah. and how they treat that location. Totally. And that's brilliant. Like I, I haven't, I, before now I hadn't put those two things together and mm-hmm. it's so true. Like last fall, um, I was in Southwest Colorado. Well, I live in Southwest Colorado, but I was down around Ridgeway and I was shooting um, around this uh, spot called Silverjack Reservoir and, and um, I just got bored with this spot because I'd shot there before and there was a bunch of people around. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to – I don't even know if this is going to work or not, but I'm going to hike up this trail. And I'm going to see where it takes me. Mm-hmm. And uh, if I get a cool shot, awesome. And if I don't, oh, well, it was a good day, right? Totally. And it was so rewarding. And, like, I found this amazing place and I got some great images out of it. And and I'm not telling anywhere anyone where that shit's at. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I don't want anyone to go there. Um, and and you're right. Like now that you say it, I have uh, so much more appreciation for that spot than I do for the spot that was just maybe four miles down trail where everyone else mm-hmm. was at. Yeah. I, I think that's a great uh, that's a great way of putting it. And maybe just as an example. Uh, for anyone listening, um, I broke my own rule on that where I wanted to go to the North Cascades and did a little North Cascades thing and some dude's photo with like some lake reflecting in Rainier or something up across the horizon line was there. And it was like, oh my God, like this would be an awesome star photo spot. And um, and I messaged the guys like, hey man, I would love to go to this <laughs> spot. Where is it at? And, uh, and I was all doing like last minute research. Like I was totally the quintessential doesn't care traveler. Right. And of course he yeah. didn't get back to me. Cause I just asked him like the night before, but also just didn't get back to me. And so 
I was then forced to do my own research and suddenly like, I started finding out this whole North Cascades place is huge and there's so many cool spots. Yeah, dude. And, and then I found like more spots and more spots. And then like I went down this rabbit hole and that rabbit hole and I get this like long flowing list of places to go. And then even on the drive out, like I start seeing places on the drive, like, well, I got to go there. I got to go there. And now because that one person didn't respond back with that piece of information that didn't give me like my immediate Big Mac that I asked for, I now have a <laughs> buffet line of places that I care about and want to go back to. And it's so much more than just that one single location that I wanted to find. And we as the content creators, we are setting up the rest of the internet, anyone coming into a love of the outdoors, like we're creating this ecosystem. We're the one putting location tags. We're the one answering those questions without context. So it's not up to them to change behavior. It's up to us to change this interface and how we use it. Oh, absolutely. I think that's, uh, that's brilliant. How does, how do you see, um, in your time in, in this, in this craft, how, how have you seen people's attitudes and, and kind of, um, the kind of zeitgeist of everything, around Ooh, like nice words zeitgeist <laughs> zeitgeist, zeitgeist. <laughs> have you seen um people I, I feel like people abuse locations um for their own personal benefit and i know we've you know there's been some news articles about you know people that have you know de decimated certain locations for like a video that they wanted to put out on instagram or social media to get notoriety or fame and how have you seen that um, change um, since the advent of um, social media and and all of this stuff? Um, well, I think one thing to keep in context is that in any and all circles, there is one percent of crappy people that will do crappy <laughs> yeah. things. Yes, it doesn't, absolutely. Doesn't, that's, doesn't that's matter. For sure where we are, where we're at. Um, if, and so if anything, I think social media more so has given us videos where we now get to see firsthand what they did. Uh -huh. And so I don't know that, that, that top tier crappiness, you know, like driving out and leaving ruts on death Valley or ignoring signs and walking across Yellowstone, et cetera. Um, I don't know that that's totally changed behavior. It's more of like the new two to 20% of kind of crappy behavior. That's really bad. <laughs> Um, and, and I think, um, hmm, uh, I think it goes back to us. If we are going to gain from the, the notoriety of the internet by sharing these images, then it's up to us to share the culture that we appreciate and enjoy and that we expect people to follow. Like we're creating newcomers to this outdoor recreation by the content that we share. I don't think that there would be this mad rush to the outdoors without all the crazy time lapses, photos, videos that we are creating. Mm -hmm. And so if our career, if our ego is going to benefit by those audiences, likes, shares, comments, clicks, then we also need to take on the responsibility to somehow learn how to inform them of how our culture experience and recreates in that place. Um, so I don't know. I think we need to do a better behavior of uh, communicating our expectations for anyone who's going to go check out that place that our photo has introduced them to. Yeah. I mean, not to be cliche, but like it, with greater power comes greater responsibility, right? Like, yeah, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, I'm, uh, I've been, 
I'm in a small group of photographers here in Colorado that we're trying to tackle this issue head on with some some outreach that we're kind of trying to plan on. It's like this long-term project that we're working on, but one of the key tenets of what we're trying to address is, you know, the, the bigger influence that you have as a content creator, um, I feel like kind of to your point, the more responsibility you have to make sure that people understand that if you go to this place, like, here's what you need to know. Here's how to respect that place. Here's mm-hmm. like the things that you shouldn't do to destroy that place. Um, here's how, here's how you can give back to that place and make it a better place for others. Yeah. Um, I think, right. I think you're right. Like it's, it's like we have to pay our taxes as people that are benefiting from the system. Right. <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting. Like I was checking out your website before the podcast and came across the um, the, the the code of ethics. I'd never seen that list actually laid out. Um, that, like, so one of your your quotes from another place you were interviewed was before the podcast. I was a strong proponent that photographers should just do whatever they want and that people should only care about their own work and not what people think. While this feels good, it is a dangerous game to play by which we are actively auctioning future trust in the art form for more personal success today. Like, dude, that's your words. That's brilliant. You know, that's that's well, well I, said. I can't take full credit for that. I think I took a little bit of that from my interview with Alex Nail. <laughs> But okay, yeah, I strongly believe in that, um, and that's, um, yeah, I, 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 I guess I can't really uh, expound upon that any further. I mean, it's well here. So here's one uh, as we're just talking about it. My brain's thinking, um, like Pinterest. We can't put those sentiments there oh, because just totally. the image gets right. shared, you know, and that's a, that's a problem. Um, Instagram. We, we have caption space. Now, if we're using location tags, then someone's searching it and just put in a location tag, they're not going to read our caption because they just want to see the photo and location tag. If we get away with that, then people are following us because they like our work and they discover these locations through our work. And hopefully they read a caption because they respect us as an artist. But I think as we can change our use of these mediums, we can shift some of the problem back we can get the pendulum to swing, swing back a little way oh for sure and i think i'm a, I, I feel like the most basic way we can do that is just to talk about it with other photographers and try to yeah. i mean that's kind of what i'm trying to do on the podcast a little bit is like have people on that actually want to make a difference in the future of our craft because like it or not like we are in, intimately intertwined with our uh, with these places that we shoot, and the more we promote those places through our beautiful images, the more people are going to go there. And so, to, in order to yeah. offset that fact, I feel like we have to do something else and more. Yeah. Hats off to you for having this podcast be uh, a podium for that that opinion. Right on. Thanks, dude. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, cool. Um, well, let's talk a little bit about um, creativity. Ooh. It's a, what do you want to talk about? It's a buzzword. I mean, a lot of people, <laughs> a lot of a lot of people uh, use that word to justify all kinds of behavior. Um, <laughs> That's true. <laughs> they use that word to justify um, post-processing techniques. They use it to justify how they set up a shot that may or may not be good for that place. They use it to justify all Mm. kinds of stuff. Um, 
I really wanted to talk to you about this uh, this this inst- this Instagram account <clears throat> that that's, yeah. that's kind of uh, gotten some some fame recently uh and in the the instagram account is insta repeat and uh-huh. it, uh, you actually you shared another one with me which was uh i think it's you didn't sleep there was that you what? did not sleep you did not sleep there you did not sleep there. <laughs> uh-huh. and uh i was curious like how how do you see this whole world of photography shifting and what is causing this 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 thing and maybe tell us a little bit more about like that account and what it's trying to do but also like what does it actually mean you know what i mean oh man um <laughs> yeah so for what's anyone, the meaning of life what ben? does that mean <laughs> um let's definitely figure out the meaning of life tonight uh for anyone who's <laughs> not sure we're talking about in instagram there's a new account called insta underscore repeat and it takes uh, makes collages of similar looking photos found on Instagram and turns them into singular posts. Uh, and this thing's going nuts. Like I sent you the link where I posted it, shared it like a week ago and had a couple thousand followers. Right now while we're talking, it's up to 48,000 yeah. followers. So it, it's like, it's come at the right moment where we're all feeling this and this clever person has found a way to express it visually to us. Um, uh, what does it mean? What does it mean? What does it well, mean? Well, maybe um, uh, while you're pondering that, um, I'll kind of explain yeah. some of the themes. I loved it. <laughs> I mean, it, it expresses so many things that just drive me crazy about the state of photography right now. It's uh, <laughs> you know, copycat. Um, it's it's like the race to the bottom. Uh, how, how can I make my images look exactly like that person's images because they have so many Instagram followers and how do I replicate that? And it's, mm. Oh my God. It's, I feel like it's uh it just encapsulates so many feelings that I've had for like the last three or four years. So the most recent one they have is like top down centered on medium format camera. Uh, the next one was the theme was, Person-centered, alone in the wild, above the clouds. And then this one, the next one is so classic. Like, I've actually tried to take a shot like this because, I don't know, but, but I don't know because, like, I've been, la- I've, I backpack a lot. So, like, you know, you're laying in the tent and you wake up in the morning and the sunrise looks badass and you're like, how do I, how do I show off how cool this experience is? Uh-huh. I'm going to take a photo of myself laying down in my tent with, with the awesome scene outside. Yeah. So, Tent hole part seven. <laughs> yeah, not the first post. It's the seventh one they've done. Yeah, of those kind of shots. Yeah, and just, they're not running out of material. Person centered on a green pointy ridge. I mean, they just they find. Oh, this is this is great. Uh, it's all about horseshoe bend. Feet in front of horseshoe bend. Um, so yeah, uh huh. And now they're building a visitor center at horseshoe bend because everyone keeps going there. So you won't be able to put your feet on that view anymore. Yeah. So I feel like what this page does is it makes you think like, wow, look, we're all just copying each other. And like, what is the underlying motive of that? Right? Like, is it, mm, I mean, there, yeah. there's so many directions we could take this conversation. <laughs> yeah. Let's get weird, man. Let's get weird. <laughs> yeah. So you go first, man. Uh, okay. What do you think? All right. Um, Okay, so there's one angle where we now have so many cameras everywhere and people have to learn. Uh-huh. And so the best way to learn is to try something you admire. Sure. 
And, uh, and so this makes sense that we have so many of the same things. The, the shocking thing is that we have so many top content creators doing the same thing. Uh-huh. Like why are all our heroes and heroines doing the same thing and not doing their own thing? Right, um, right, right. So, okay, so uh, um, a couple things. Um, another one as I'm scrolling through looking at these shots is so far like 90% of them all have a person in it. Uh-huh. And that's kind of an interesting trend that I would love to to talk about a bit where um, it's like it's like the moment doesn't count. Not only if you don't have a shot of it, but if you're not in the shot. It's not enough just to see a pretty scene. You need to have proof that you were standing there in the scene. Uh-huh. And it, like, I get it. Um, like, for me, a big aha moment was that um, Crater Lake shot where it's the one of me laying in the, yeah. the snow. Yeah. And it's so funny because yeah. a few posts down, one of them is, here, wait, let me find it. Uh, he's already posted too many. One of them is a collection of all the headlamp. Oh, here we go. What's the caption? person alone at night with flashlight <laughs> and, and it's, yeah, like, it's like you you and paul's disc are like yeah sorry guys <laughs> <laughs> right so i get it where when i was out that night i spent all my time doing a photo with no one in it and it was this beautiful clean shot of crater lake with the milky way and then for fun with my buddy who was there we both like it, we were exhausted i thought i'd give a laugh out of them to fall down and do a snow angel. And that's why I did the photo was not to make a photo, but just to like make him laugh before we called it a night and went to bed. So then I enter both into national geographic and I get a call right. back on the one with the goofy one of me in it, not the one that I spent like four hours trying to make. And so, so in 2011, uh-huh. like I had the moment like, Oh man, like people need a placeholder for themselves to be inside of. And then it changes the whole scene where if there's that silhouette, if there's that body, they can literally imagine that being themselves. And that makes a lot of sense. But it shifted into something ego. And it goes back to that high school thing going on where Uh like everyone wants proof that they were there and they did this thing. And it's no longer this creative effort, but like a weird high school checklist effort of like, oh yeah, I did that also. And we're all doing the damn same thing. It drives me nuts, man. It drives me nuts. Um, sorry, I'm not articulating it further. No, it drives me nuts too, because um I feel like I feel like what it has done is it uh for for lack of a better way of putting it, I feel like it's stifling people's natural create creativity. Yeah. You know, like like cause you did that kind of like, oh, this would be a kind of a creative thing to do. It was spontaneous in the moment to have fun. Yeah, and now people aren't doing it because it's spontaneous and in the moment or fun. It's they're doing it because like everyone else has done it, and I have to do it too. It's a checklist. It's really weird. It it is really so, weird, and I, I, uh, I mean, so I know personally, I've, um, I mean, I'm guilty of trying to replicate certain images myself in the past, and. Like, I'm not ashamed to admit that. Like, it was about, um, well, if that worked for them, if, shit, mm-hmm. I know how they did it. I can do that too, right? Like, yeah. So, of okay, course, so, it's going to get me. We, I'm going to get rich and famous off of the same thing because I'll do it better than they did. <laughs> yeah. Um, again, like, just like totally having a conversation, not a planned out talk. Um, like, why is this different? Uh, again, going back to the internet, we've never had this ability to see everyone's work uh-huh. immediately and algorithms collect it. So normally if you're learning something, 
no one but your mom right. and best friends would see your work because it doesn't go anywhere. But um, so there's that new factor. But then like I'm just trying to compare it to other things. And we'll watch like America's Got Talent and watch our neighbor copy a song from a popular artist. And for some reason, like it doesn't elicit this creepiness that I feel looking uh -huh. at these collected works. Yeah, no, I feel the same way. Like I, I feel the same. I, I don't know. Is there any... Is there any other mediums that we can compare it to and be like, okay, in a similar different world, we don't have this feeling or it doesn't feel the same. Why is it happening here with our photography? I feel like you're kind of onto something because I, I feel like it's definitely so we're social animals, right? Like we um, we want to we want to be part of something bigger than ourselves. We want to feel like we 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 want to feel like we belong to this, this thing that's like the human race. And also we want to feel like, um, that we've, that we've contributed something to that thing. And, and some of that's not necessarily like a conscious, uh, expression. Mm -hmm. Like some of that's super underlying into like what motivates us as a species. And so I just wonder if, if some of this behavior is just not, it's a subconscious yeah. kind of undertow that's been exacerbated by, um, like just being constantly pounded on our mind. Like we're constantly looking at our phones, like, Oh, Instagram, like you're constantly looking at this stuff, right? Like in a single day, if you're on Instagram, you probably ingested like two, 300 photos, maybe, right? FOMO, man. Really. And so like it gets stored somewhere in your brain and you see it and you see it and you see it and you see yeah. it. And you're like, well, I want to be part of that thing too. And then you, and then you go out and try to do it too. I don't know. That's what I'm wondering if it's part of it's mm -hmm. there's not I don't know if it's like a I don't think there's like a yes. necessarily a a negative motive behind it. I, th I think part of it's like part of our weakness as humans. <laughs> totally. I've got an idea here. So going back to like America's Got Talent, when our neighbor goes up on stage and begins that performance, we know that they are bringing a rehearsed moment to the stage to make a performance. And in that context, everything is as it should be. Now, when we go to Instagram, it started out as here's a real life. Let's take snaps of each other, photos of each other and share what's happening. And now it's turned into a stage, but it's still supposed to be this real life thing. Oh, I think the creepiness yes. of it is how we curate this stage moment that's supposed to be our real life. And... And now everyone thinks that our real life is supposed to look like a stage moment. Mm -hmm. And so this is what drives me nuts is like Portland Monthly just came out with a new cover and it's all about like hashtag van life and being mobile and, <laughs> and camping and stuff. And like, I get it. Like I got a crappy Astro van. I love doing it. It's awesome. Like van life is cool, man. But I, my, my priority is to be mobile, to do what I want to do and be able to crash in my van. That's it. Um, this Portland monthly cover and all the photos, they had like a 1970s land cruiser wagoneer with the rooftop tent and they're wearing the Pendleton <laughs> draped blankets and, right. and the felt hat and the lumberjack like, shirt people and the goddamn wear. cute dog. <laughs> like not a normal day. It's right. Like, come on. But now we're all changing our behavior so that if we ever turn a camera at ourselves or if we ever share a moment, it's as good as a stage mm -hmm. moment. And that's the problem. And, and that's, I think, the freakiness of these curated things is that this Instagram stuff is supposed to be our real life. 
and we're suddenly realizing that we're all like adopting a script and the only thing we're sharing of our real lives is copying of each other. Yeah. You know, I don't so, know. Um, I, I can't remember. I think it was this American life, uh, podcast where yeah. they talked about, um, uh, this, this interesting phenomenon that's going on with social media where people only share like the, the, the best parts of their life and, and it, and it, and it causes totally. people that, um, you know, maybe don't have a whole lot of great stuff going on in their life at that moment. So like, it's super depressed because they're constantly, they're constantly yeah, com- comparing themselves to what they see on social media, which is only the good stuff that people share. Not any of like, Oh, like, uh, I had diarrhea this morning. Like that sucked. I'm not going to put that on Facebook right. though, right? Like, yeah. like people don't share all mm-hmm. the really bad stuff that they go through on a day-to-day basis on social media. Generally, like they post only the cool stuff and it causes us to have this mm-hmm. kind of miss this misrepresented reality of what people's lives are like. And then we aspire to, to try to chase that. And I feel like we're doing that through photography too. It's uh I think you're onto it, man. Yeah, you're onto it. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, and, and the algorithms are set up where it's only going to promote these perfect moments. Yeah. Like if you say, hey guys, on the toilet with diarrhea, <laughs> today's a hard day, that's not going to make it to the top of the feed. Or 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 just to get real and and maybe a bit more um transparent, if you're like, hey, I'm having a hard time doubting myself, not sure what to do next, like, or today is a really hard day. I'm not sure if any of this makes sense. You can't click the like button on that. Right. You know, like it feels weird to say, I like what you're doing. Uh-huh. And so we don't, we don't know. We don't know how to digitally like come around and give a pat on the back. And then, and so that stuff never makes it up anywhere. Uh-huh. Um, and yet we only get like flooded by perfect stage performance moments. And it's rewriting our subconscious to think that our life should look this way also. And dude, it's messed up, man. It is it's, messed up. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah, you look at these, you look at these images, and you're just like, wow. Like, uh, there's. So, I mean, I've seen like the, I've seen the posts on online where it's like we all have the same ideas about taking photos. You know, like when people go to like sure the Leaning Tower Pizza, Pizza, and and they're like, yeah, they're like, or they're like trying to hold it up with their hand or something. Like everyone has uh-huh. like the same. Yep. Or like the fun. Yeah. Like, or like they're holding the moon up with their hands based on perspective. Like I've seen those posts, but like, this is different than that. This is, this is like something that's injected into our subconscious. That's kind of, kind of gross. Yeah. Gross is a good word. There's a, there's um, a black mirror creepiness to it all. Um, And it kind of goes back to that high school thing where it's like, Hey, I'm cooler than you. And suddenly we we start putting ourselves in some pecking order of where do I fall in the coolness of the world? And like, we're adults, man. We're freaking adults. Like we shouldn't be swayed by this stuff, but it's, it, I think it is getting to, I know it's getting to me, you know, I, I have to control and filter how much I stare at this stuff. And I'm trying to actively now control and filter what I put out there so that I'm not propagating the problem also. Yeah. So let's talk about that. So sure. one of the things that, um, that I really appreciate about the, some of the stuff that you've been putting out and some of the, some of the stuff that we're not going to go into detail about that you've kind of showed me behind sure. the scenes of some yeah. of the projects you're working on is that it's, it's super original. It's like, um, it, there's a purpose to it. That's not 
uh, likes on Instagram. Um, yeah. So how, how does that look differently for an artist as someone who's actually doing it? Thanks, man. Um, yeah, so I showed I showed Matt some photos that we'll be posting soon, anywhere in the next like week to couple weeks. A lot of cool new night stuff coming out uh, that I've been working on for like the last year or two. Um, the the sooner, not the sooner. Once you can stop caring about likes and shares and getting away from like for, formulaic success, and ask yourself like, what am I feeling? What do I care about? What do I want to express? Uh, then suddenly your work changes dramatically. And it's weird because there's this uncertainty of like, is it going to be successful? Is it going to go viral? Blah, 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 blah. And you're now off the path of of how you have expectations to be successful. But I think as artists or, or creative folks, and I think we're all creative, whether we're photographers or dentists, um, what's more important is that we as humans share our humanity. And like, that's what we really want, man, is uh, uh, my, my friend showed me uh, the uh, Death Cab for Cutie. Was it Death Cab for Cutie? There's a new music video. It's so good. Um, I'll find the link here and maybe we can post it up there. But it's it's not really a music video. It's a story about her son. And it's this moment where like he actually exposes his own humanity and everyone rea- reacts to it. And that's the real stuff that, art and creativity should be like, what are you feeling? What are you afraid of? What are you proud of? What, what drives your curiosity? Like what gets you fired up? What makes you like giggle like a freaking kid? (laughs) Not how do you, what can you make that you know is going to think everyone is makes blah, 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 blah. Not just like do something that you know is going to be successful. And man, this is what, what um, is so sad to me is the beauty of photography is not, being human photocopiers, but we have this tool to be like, this is how I see the world. Like what comes in my eyes and hits my brain and cycles through whatever the, the soul that is me, like it all comes out in this form and I have a tool to show it to you. And the fact that so many of these young photographers are now turning their worldview sharer tool into a photocopier is tragic, man. And, uh, and what we need for our our friendships, our neighborhoods, our families, our freaking planet is to better understand each other's position yeah. and realize that we see these things differently. And that's what makes this whole thing work and spin and beautiful, not this homogenous, singular foot over horseshoe bend. And that's what we all think and share. So um, it's creepy. Uh, it's weird. It's crippling our art medium. And it's tragic for us as true humans so uh does that have anything to do with the the name of your company uncage the soul (laughs) oh man uh nice little segue i gotta give that credit to my partner john he started it like 15 years ago and uh it was before blogs and he was he was traveling around the world kind of after, after college trying to figure out a career and he would do this like 300 person email which was like before a blog was possible and then he would always sign off with uncage your soul, John. And so he named the company that when he started the company. That's cool. Yeah. So like the, the, the heart of our company and our, our partnership and our friendship, uh, the company name comes from that magic moment where he felt alive and wanted to share that enthusiasm with everyone back home. Awesome. Yeah, well, man. Damn, dude, we are, what are we, uh, hour in. So <laughs> 
let's uh do we have to stop we do uh but but we're gonna do some uh we're gonna do some bonus uh on the page for the patreon supporters uh okay which you are actually one of which i really thank you for that hell yeah um thanks for doing all this This is a lot of hard yeah man so um i really only have uh one more question for you before we end the podcast because i feel like you, you just gave us like some wicked uh words of wisdom so i'm not gonna ask you like what's your advice uh, question because I think you just answered it. Um, so really, the last question is like, who do you think would be awesome to have on the podcast based on your your uh, travels as the Gandalf of night photography? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, man. Um, I'm embarrassed to say like, well, not, I'm embarrassed for myself and also impressed by your um, proclivity of work. Like the list of folks that you've had is insane. Uh, I feel like all the folks I've looked up to you, you've really already interviewed and asked. So I've been just like scrambling my head. Um, <laughs> a local, a local photographer that is quietly been doing his own thing for a long time and was a major inspiration to me in the beginning is uh, Zeb oh. Andrews. He works at blue moon camera in North Portland and he's pretty quiet. He's not a flashy person. Uh, you'll find a ton of writings and sharings and stuff, but he's not like an egomaniac trying to make himself huge, but he works with uh, film cameras and all kinds of film cameras and does like multi-year pinhole time-lapse projects and weird hostile blood um, film projects. But there's just so much heart to his images. And I have so much respect that he um, thrills in the film world and doesn't shortcut it with the digital world. So uh, I think he could speak a lot. He's been doing this for a really long time, so it might be fun to talk to him. Awesome. And then, yeah, yep. Um, and then, uh, um, yeah. I mean, you've had so many people already on. It's it's kind of beyond my list. Um, someone who I've been curious about and and haven't done enough research on, but newly showed up is uh, I think her name's Rachel Jones. She's a night oh, photographer uh-huh. based out of Canada, and she's another one who's been putting a lot of people or human centered elements in her shots, which I respect. I don't really know much about her personally. It'd be interesting to talk to her. Um, and then there is uh, a chick out of Las Vegas, Tracy, Tracy Jones or Tracy Lee Jones. She oh, runs, Lee. uh, yeah, Milky, yeah, Milky Way Milky Chasers. Chasers. Yeah. Yeah. And she does a lot of cool stuff for herself too. Um, so just a lot of respect, not, not just respect. Um, again, going back to the humanity of it, we have way too many dudes on the show and you've been doing great at bringing some diversity to that and some balance to that list. So uh, I would throw my two cents in for the female end of the spectrum, just to, to hear more of what they're thinking. Um, another one to keep your eye on is uh, Kayla Sulik. She's a young local photographer living out of her, living out of her SUV and just like dedicating everything to the, the crazy pursuit of image making. Um, yeah, that sounds familiar. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, there's, there's too many dudes in the spotlight and there's definitely a lot of women <laughs> putting in the hard time and hard work. So, um, Oh, for sure. Yeah. That's just, that's a few things. Yeah. I've got, uh, well, I have one, uh, Pacific Northwest, uh, woman photographer coming on soon. Who's that? Uh, Marianne, Marianne Trengrove. Oh, cool. I've never, um, no, I haven't met her in person yet, but she seems really cool. Yeah, so that'll be good. And um, oh, no, who's someone that you had on was uh, Kathleen Clemens. 
Oh, she was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. We got to film her for Lens Baby. She's like one of the oh, ambassadors. Oh, cool. Yeah. Because they're based in Portland. Yeah. 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 And to get the day with her. And man, like, no, it was cool. And I think it came out in the podcast, if I remember correctly, was how thrilled she was to discover that the Lens Baby showed the world how she saw it in her mind. Yeah. And, and like, literally, how she had this. This, this lens, this tool that now she could like take out of her head and put it into someone else's head, how she sees it. And dude, like no joke, we're filming this thing and we're in like a hot greenhouse. Um, it's summer, it's hot, it's uncomfortable. It's been a long day. And she teared up and got emotional explaining that. And I loved that as far as she's been in this thing, that it's still so passionate to her. So she's cool. Yeah. So good job on that one. She's really neat. Yeah, cool. Oh man, uh, Ben, it's it's been so fun to have you on. Like that was one of the most <laughs> that was one of the most fun podcast episodes I've recorded. So I really appreciate awesome, it. <laughs> and uh, honored. Let's like do this in person, not oh, just so, on uh, I mean, the internet. For the listeners too, like we yeah. tried something new this week. Um, uh, we we fired up some video so that we could actually see each other, which is new for this podcast. And I I, I feel like it helped a lot. So um, I've been inspired by your beautiful smile and sparkling eyes. <laughs> And, you know, yes. I want to buy you another drink, man. I'm just really enamored and in love with you. Yeah, I'm, I, I mean, I'm totally loving, like, you, you look like you're about to go uh, practice with the Portland Trailblazers. So, uh. I got my, I wasn't planning on being on a video, no, so I didn't shave or anything. On, like, it looks like you're about to go play some rec league. It's, it's all. <laughs> well, no, it's, uh, what's embarrassing is in our office building the next door neighbors have the thermostat for the whole top floor and i forgot to tell them to leave the ac on and it's like 98 degrees here in portland tonight oh so. yeah it's super hot here too man so I <laughs> <laughs> cool dude thanks to ben for taking the time to visit with us on the podcast it was so much fun to have you on man to find out more about ben and see more of his amazing photography visit thestartrail.com coolest website name ever maybe uh you'll find links to the topics we discussed and more in the show notes over on my blog at mattpainphotography.com maybe the lamest website name ever <laughs> um and uh as usual um i'm really loving that people are leaving um lots of reviews on itunes i really really appreciate it uh keep it up um it is helping people um, find the podcast, which is which is what we want. I want more people to to hear it and and enjoy it. So, thanks to J M Hills and Jackson Frischman and T T T T T one one T T for their awesome five star reviews. You guys are great. Um, and uh, just another just plea. Um, kind of seen a drop off lately uh, from Patreon subscribers. Would love to see more support. Um, I promise I'm about to release some more stuff on Patreon. Um, I think it'll go live this week or next. I'm gonna I'm gonna add a whole portfolio critiquing critiquing function for patrons. Um, so that should be awesome. Uh, I love hearing from listeners. So drop me a line about the podcast um, on my website, or you can. Uh, Send me a note on Twitter or Instagram or on Facebook at Matt Payne Photo or Matt Payne Photography. Thanks so much for listening. I appreciate it.